Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now your hosts, Bela Sebro. She's the nice one. And Alan Skorsky. Uh, he's not so nice. But together they are the definitive rap. I'm Alan Skorsky with my co-host Bela Seabrow, and welcome to the definitive rap, where we discuss the news items the mainstream media just won't touch. The definitive rap is proud to be the official thought podcast of vinnews.com. We are now two months into the Biden administration, with Democrats still seething over not having been able to impeach Donald Trump for a second time following the violence on January 6th. While that political theater is still fresh in the minds of millions, many Americans have forgotten about the first impeachment attempt against President Trump for basically not being a nice guy. In his book, Abuse of Power, Inside the Three-Year Campaign to Impeach Donald Trump, our distinguished guest and brilliant author, Fred Lucas, whom Bela will introduce shortly, takes the readers through the illegitimate process and questionable tactics the Democrats and media used to try to remove Donald Trump even before he was sworn in. I'm sure today's discussion will be as riveting as his book. Bela, I know you had some comments as well. Thank you, Alan. The left were very unhappy with the results of the 2016 election, and they didn't try to hide that either. So they needed to do what needed to be done by whatever it takes. The problem is that when people allow personal feelings and emotions to overtake, it causes great havoc. And when you're dealing with a constitutional government, it can get dangerous. And that's what we are talking about here today. Donald Trump's enemies set out to remove him from office even before his inauguration, which ended, as everyone knows, in an election year impeachment trial. Here with us today is Fred Lucas, the chief national affairs correspondent for The Daily Signal, an award-winning journalist and veteran White House correspondent. Lucas, who has written and reported for Fox News, National Review, Newsmax, The Blaze, Town Hall, The Washington Examiner, The Federalist, The National Interest, History Magazine Quarterly, The American Spectator, The American Conservative, and other outlets. Before going to Washington, he reported on state capitals in Kentucky and Connecticut. He earned his master's at Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism and bachelor's at Western Kentucky University. Fred, welcome to the Definitive Wrap. Thanks for having me on. Mm -hmm. Uh, You wrote about the inside three-year campaign to impeach Donald Trump in a book titled Abuse of Power. Your book is fascinating. And the details, yes. And the details are surreal because what you wrote about is how the facts evolved and you really exposed the events leading up to Trump's impeachment, beginning with Democrats resistance to his presidency from the beginning, all the way through the Senate vote that kept, that kept Trump in office. So let's start from when Elizabeth Warren tried to set an impeachment trap for Trump, even before his inauguration. Please tell us about that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And one of the chapters in, in the book is called Resistance Before Day One. And, and that's basically that uh, before the inauguration, 
on some level, even before election day, but though almost nobody thought he was going to win the election in 2016. So, so they weren't as worried. It was more of an academic exercise. But after, after the election, uh, there was this uh, full-blown effort to look into impeaching him. Uh, Elizabeth Warren uh, put together a bill. She got a few Senate co-sponsors, including Tim Kaine, who was on the losing presidential ticket that year with Hillary Clinton, uh, to um, basically demand that uh, Trump divest his holdings um, and using the emoluments clause and and the bill specifically said if he did not this would be this would constitute a high crime or misdemeanor uh under the constitution which of course high crime misdemeanor is synonymous with impeachment so they they were basically setting them in motion uh plans to impeach donald trump from the very beginning uh this was december 2016 early december 2016 this bill came out and no chance of passing really, but, but it was something that set the Democrats on course. After that, you had several house members uh, and this whole web of various nonprofits uh, that I call uh, impeach 45 Inc, which was um, uh, people, Tom Steyer, George Soros groups and so forth. 1630 fun types. Arabella groups that were raising money off the concept of impeaching Trump um, and constantly sending out emails to their followers. Let's impeach Trump, chip in $5, that type of thing. Uh, and, and, and so it became both a monetary and a political thing to push forward. Uh, this whole time, however, I, I would say that Nancy Pelosi, uh, she came in uh, as minority leader in 2017, she didn't want to talk about impeachment. She thought that would scare voters away. Her goal was to win a majority. And um, the book, Abuse of Power, is almost as much about Pelosi as it is Trump uh, and how there yeah. was this complete collapse of leadership on her part, how she eventually became just bullied by the far left wing in her caucus. So, you know, um, Fred, one of the, as I followed the, um, you know, the impeachment process as well, uh, we saw people like Eric Swalwell, who I swear when Tucker Carlson used to have him on, it was intentional just to make, to show America what a dope this guy is. Um, there's no other reason to have him on as a guest. And we saw also Adam Schiff um, regularly come on TV and the different shows and say, the evidence is clear, uh, it's there for anyone to see. Now, I want to ask, how could they have gotten away with this? But it almost sounds like too naive of a question. But I guess that's my question. You go on TV, you're a lawyer. You swear you take an oath to uphold the Constitution, and you're telling America that you have evidence that never existed. So how did they, I guess, where did they go from there, and how did they get away with it? Yeah, the, the, this was a, a particular with Adam Schiff. Adam Schiff. Uh, would go on talk shows, meet the press, various other cable news shows, and and uh, basically say, uh, when sometimes the host would push him on this about, do you have evidence of collusion? It's a, and he, he sort of just repeatedly gets, well, I'm privy to very so much information as a member of the Intelligence Committee, and, and there is solid evidence out there of collusion with Russia. Uh, yeah, and I mean, that that's something he was never really held accountable. I mean, he, Adam Schiff and the book Abuse of Power, it really documents how he's told so many lies uh, from the moment Trump came into office 
through throughout. I mean, and public public. I mean, and uh, it, it was not difficult to find areas where Adam Schiff lied. Now he's trying to be the uh, Attorney General of, of California, of California uh, ho- hoping he gets that Becerra seat. Right. Uh, so because that's usually been a pretty good stepping stone, as you see from Kamala Harris, but. Um, and the, the, this was not the only problem. I mean, Adam Schiff, though, he took command. He wanted to run the impeachment uh, early on. And, and a big part of this book is how he really edged out um, Jerry Nadler. Jerry Nadler is the guy who was naturally, as mem- as the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, was naturally supposed to run an impeachment proceeding. Uh, uh, Schiff basically pushed him aside, uh, worked his connections with Nancy Pelosi and, and, and also some of the weaknesses that Nadler had had in previous hearings and, and, and really commandeered the process. The Judiciary Committee had sort of a, a very token role and um, after the Schiff's Committee, the Intel Committee had their hearings, um, then it went to Judiciary for the sort of token vote as to what the uh, articles of impeachment would be. But yeah, I mean, uh, Adam Schiff entirely took it over. And then uh, they had a very, he, Schiff and Nadler had a very public uh, rivalry during the impeachment trial uh, in 2020. And it was comical at times. Some people might remember that foot race that they had uh, in which, uh, and and others might remember uh, uh, press conferences with the house managers in which Nadler would be speaking and then Schiff would in- interrupt and take over and so forth. So yeah, th- th- this was a, this was not a well put together team. Um, what's interesting, I think, is uh, if you look at the first impeachment set of impeachment managers and the second set of impeachment managers uh, with Trump's trials, two Senate trials, I, um, the, the, the first team with Schiff and Nadler and some of these other folks were that was they were sort of a Zoe Lofgren. Those were sort of a listers in the among House Democrats. Uh, the the next impeachment, uh, Jamie Raskin, he's pretty much on the B team, uh, and it was largely um, you know kind of second tier House Democrats that were they were running this the second impeachment. Uh, but I, I think they actually did a much better job. Uh, and at least in presenting, okay, presentation-wise, they did a much better job than the shifting. Well, you know, Fred. they had a lot of video to go with it, and they were more focused on, again, editing. You know, we had spoken earlier with David Schoen, one of the uh, Trump's defense lawyers, and he said that, you know, the Democrats basically, uh, they brought in a, a movie crew uh, yes, to take all did. the videos and just kind of cut and paste to make it look, you know, Donald Trump, yeah, Oprah, Biden, Michael, you know, Fred, in your book, you take apart uh, previous impeachments as opposed to the impeachment charges against uh, Donald Trump. Can you explain the previous impeachments and how was this one different? Well, yeah, the uh, fatal flaw in the uh, first Trump impeachment, certainly, was that it is uh, the only uh, presidential impeachment not based on some allegation of breaking the law. Uh, the, the charges were abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. Uh, literally, you could charge almost any president. Abuse of power is, is a very broad spectrum. It, it, it's, so, it's so vague. Uh, you, you know, 
I mean, I point out you could easily have charged Barack Obama with abuse of power for uh, enacting DACA without Congress. You could have uh, charged him with obstruction of Congress for uh, declaring uh, privilege over the Fast and Furious documents. Right. So, uh, I mean, there, you know, I mean, the same could probably be said of many, many other presidents who clashed with Congress. That's basically, basically, the the two charges were abuse of power meant Congress didn't like him, the Democrats didn't like him. Uh, obstruction of Congress was he didn't do what they told him to do. And uh, it was all predicated. They needed a predicate. So they grabbed onto this Ukraine phone call, which I think most people agree, almost no president would ever be impeached for that. Um, the Trump, th- this was an impeachment uh, looking for a reason. And um, what what I did with this book, I, 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 I didn't just pontificate. I, I looked into, you know, I, I interviewed people within the White House, with on Capitol Hill, um, all through, uh, try to get as many sides as possible on this. Uh, and it's and, very clear uh, that uh, you didn't just write fiction here. <laughs> right. And, and, and often, often uh, off the record on background, people said, what happened behind the scenes? What, what was going on here? Uh, the rivalries where people clash. But uh, we, we did say this was built up. Uh, they tried, I mentioned emoluments in the Liz Warren case. Uh, uh, they thought that was low hanging fruit. That didn't really work out. They moved to Russia. They tried at some point Stormy Daniels. They wanted to impeach him for that. None of those things really worked. Particularly after the Mueller report came out on uh, Russia and cleared him on that. And then, aha, we've got this. Um, let's move. This we're never going to have another chance like this. And Pelosi was. Um, she had been so cornered basically by the squad at that point that she felt like she had to move. But but uh, back to your question, original question there, um, uh, looking at the impeachment of Andrew Johnson, uh, that was, a lot of historians look down on that, but um, that actually stands up to, uh, stands up much better than uh, the first Trump impeachment, which was, uh, um, they went after Johnson, the Republicans actually went after Johnson for violating the Tenure of Office Act. That was, Later ruled unconstitutional by the Supreme Court, but it, at the time it was a duly enacted law. Uh, you fast forward, um, most people agree on the Nixon uh, impeachment that almost happened before he resigned. Uh, there, there, there were multiple felonies involved in that and so forth with Watergate. Um, go forward to the Clinton impeachment. That was clearly uh, uh, obstruction of justice, which was an actual felony, unlike obstruction of Congress, uh, and perjury. Uh, there was not a lot of debate whether he did those things. The, the debate in Congress in the late 90s was whether it constituted an impeachment, whether it rose to the level of removing an elected official from office. Um, then you have the first, first Trump impeachment. Um, they couldn't think of like what does Democrats went through several iterations as to what they were going to try to impeach Trump for. At one point, they said they were going to impeach him for bribery for this Zelensky phone call. And then it was never clear whether they were accusing him of bribing Zelensky or Zelensky bribing Trump. Uh, so, and then they ran focus groups, uh, Democrats as to what we should charge Trump with. Um, the public didn't buy uh, that it was bribery uh, extortion, maybe, but they didn't quite see that either. So, so they went with these, vague charges and sort of filled in the blanks as they went along in the, in the Senate trial. Uh, what, what you can't say about um, the second impeachment of Trump 
And you, you can argue on the merits uh, of, of their case, but at least this did not have that same fatal flaw of the first impeachment of Trump. Uh, they, they impeached him in the House for uh, incitement to re- insurrection, which would actually be a crime. There, there are laws in the books against both insurrection and incitement. So, I mean, that, that, that is something that they, that this second impeachment at least had going for it, that the first impeachment did not, whether they could actually prove that case since the president said, march peacefully and patriotically to the Capitol. That's, that's a, a separate question entirely. But um, the Trump impeachment, the first one in 2019, was the only uh, presidential impeachment that did not allege a crime and importantly, uh, of all of the federal judges that were impeached and removed from office, all were impeached over the allegation of committing a crime. Uh, there, there were, I think, maybe a couple that were non-criminal impeachments, and those did not get through. So the tradition and the understanding is that it should require a crime or something equivalent to a crime, uh, uh, an attack on the nation in some way um, that does not uh uh, I mean, because there was this argument during the during the presidential impeachment of Trump that, well, it doesn't specifically require a statutory crime. And there was this old Gerald Ford quote about well, it's whatever a majority of the House believes it is impeachable is impeachable. Um, I make the point in, in this book, uh, Abuse of Power, that uh, Gerald Ford was a very good man, a, very, a person of high moral character. He was trying to impeach. Uh, Supreme Court Justice William O. Douglas, who was pretty much a moral reprobate at the time right. uh, in the 1970s. And uh, but at, at the same time, I think that Gerald Ford was just absolutely wrong on that point uh, to say that uh, an impeachable offense is whatever a House majority believes it to be. Um, that allows you to that opens the door for all sorts of things, even beyond mm-hmm. it could allow you to impeach someone for someone's race or religion or any other thing. Yeah. You know, Fred, uh, you mentioned in the book, uh, you cited Peter Schweitzer's research into the Bidens and and the Heinzes and all their Chinese deals. You cited interviews with The Intercept. I mean, you really delved in very, very deep. And I'm just wondering, when you first started writing your book, um, you know, every author has a format of, you know, starting from point A until they get to the end. Did you see the whole Chinese deal with Hunter Biden in your original thesis or is that something that developed later as you were researching and documenting the Al Greens and the squads and the Elizabeth Warrens? Where did all the whole chapter about Biden and there were a few about mm-hmm. Biden and all his, you know, dirty tricks with China coming into it? How did that come into your research when you first started writing? Well, uh, the, the, the chapter that deals, I think, mostly most with Biden of all is uh, titled The Triggers, it's chapter nine, but it, it gets into really what, what happened here and, and sort of how a Joe Biden scandal turned into a Trump impeachment. And, uh, and, uh, and, and, and it does detail just as painstakingly as possible uh, all these issues and the perks and privilege of being Hunter Biden for one, but also why it wasn't just a Hunter Biden scandal. It was a, a Joe Biden problem because of Joe based on how much Joe Biden knew about this, um, how, you know, to the degree that he tried to stop a, an investigation of his son out of Ukraine. And, um, to, to what degree 
Um, he was involved in China. Now, now uh, since this book was published, we found out more about Hunter Biden's dealings with China. Uh, and certainly there, there were things that occurred after uh, after Biden was those four years. He was a private citizen uh, having meetings and so forth with uh, some of Hunter's business associates. So um, I, I think this book, uh, Abuse of Power, I think it is a good basis to get sort of a primer on those relationships like the Bidens and China and uh, some some other far-flung international interests that are very closely aligned with the president's son and by to some degree the president himself now. Right, right. Nancy, um, I wanted to ask you, uh, Nancy Pelosi's uh, intense dislike for Donald Trump is no secret. She doesn't even try to sugarcoat it or be politically correct. Why did she go all in against Trump? Uh, well, she she did, res- as I mentioned early on, she did sort of resist it in the beginning. She she was tepid. She she didn't never liked it, <laughs> but uh, right. but but she she was she was afraid too much impeachment talk from um, Al Green and uh, others uh, that, that were pushing this uh, would be uh, would scare voters away in 2018. Uh, she wanted to talk, be about health care and so forth. And um, but but even after they got the majority, uh, she did worry that it wasn't going anywhere. She knew that they uh, the the numbers were not there in the Senate. Um, but and and for for a time, she actually tried to appease her caucus. And I I talked to some people with within Congress, um, staffers and so forth about what happened here. Uh, she went with this strategy of impeachment light, where she was right. sort of pushing the there would be contempt of Congress charges against uh, a whole slew of uh, Trump uh, cabinet uh, officials. And uh, with be it Pompeo or be it the Treasury Secretary Mnuchin and so forth. Uh, and uh, th- um, that didn't really uh, appease the beast. I mean, they, they were, they were demanding more. Uh, and um, this particularly uh, this came to head, I think, with the squad. The squad not only intimidated Pelosi, uh, and it's, it's rather shocking how this happened, this group of four House freshmen, but they not only intimidated Pelosi, but they intimidated most of the other House uh, moderates and even liberals. I mean, there, there was never a time when Nancy Pelosi would be viewed as a moderate, but compared to the squad, maybe so, uh, at least less radical. And or she at least posted it and openly talked about socialism. <laughs> right. But um, uh, there, 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 there was, um, and, and the squad didn't try, they didn't back up. Um, Pelosi wasn't used to being challenged in public by her caucus. Um, she was, she was pretty much had a good handle on her caucus. Uh, and it didn't work out this time. So well. Uh, they publicly challenged her on Twitter. They went after her on talk shows and so forth. Um, and ALC at one point uh, raised the specter of her being racist, uh, that she was attacking women of color. Right. Um, one, one point I, I make in this book is that um, the wise thing to do probably would have been for um, Trump to just stand back and let, let this Democrat civil war. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's not. It's not. Uh, uh, to just stand back and watch them implode. Um, he 
couldn't do that. Uh, he, he, he jumped in uh, on some level. He took Pelosi's side, uh, and which which is, of course, the, the death warrant for Pelosi and her caucus. So, so um, uh, and he, he went after the squad in some tweets. After that, Pelosi totally jumped in to defend the squad. Uh, it was almost her ticket out. Um, Trump, Trump gave her a way out because she was in real trouble with her caucus, with her very hardcore party base. And uh, at that point, uh, it was a way for her to keep her leadership post. But also after that, she knew that she couldn't back down from these demands for impeachment any longer. Fred, I want to ask you a question. This is something that has always bothered me. In 2012 at the uh, Nuclear Security Summit, the infamous hot mic between Barack Obama and Dmitry Medvedev. And, you know, I just I got the the hot mic quote verbatim where Obama says, this is my last election. After the election, I'll have more flexibility to which Medvedev replies. Yes, yes, I understand. I will transmit this information to Vladimir. How the heck did this not become the biggest news story, something that has impeachment written all over? I mean, you talk about, you know, the four years of Russian collusion against Trump. And right here, you caught the president on a hot mic saying after my election and a pretty arrogant day, he knew he would win, that uh, he'll be have more flexibility. How did that never have the legs um, of what the, the charges that were made against Donald Trump? I I think largely because it was Trump, uh, and uh, there, there there was not a full fledged all in effort to impeach Obama from the moment he came in office. Um, there, I mean, there's there's not. I, I don't know that there has been with anyone. Uh, uh, I I, I make some comparisons in the book with uh, Clinton. I think I don't think there was the same effort, but but I think there was a a movement and a. Uh, a zeal to impeach Clinton because of his character issues, because of so many corruptions issues mounted with Bill Clinton uh, and maybe a few parallels with Trump on that. But yeah, I mean, certainly uh, when, when there is a will to impeach, a strong will to impeach and, and you finally get to this breaking point uh, where the leadership has to get behind it. And, 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 and that played a major role. If you look at the timeline, this feud uh, between Pelosi and the squad, that the squad actually won. Um, that was very key. And, and, and it's not just the squad. The squad sort of represented the, the far-left progressive caucus within the, within the Democratic Party, but they were, they were the most visible. And, and, and once they won, um, then it was clear that Pelosi had to move. And she, she felt like, well, this came up, uh, maybe it, it's sort of a national security issue, so maybe we can move on it from that basis. Uh, and 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 from from there, they ran with it. What um, I I did make the um, argument in in the book, if if you look at some sort of parallel, um, what what if Barack Obama had uh, talked to a foreign leader about investigating Mitt Romney's sons or something like that in the twenty uh, say twenty eleven before the election coming up uh and and uh, there, there's almost that might uh lead to uh congressional oversight i think you might have seen some like daryl isis committee look into that I, th- I think the um um the media response to that would have been the new york times and cnn um being 
expressing outrage that the Republicans are trying to cover up Mitt Romney's sons uh, in order to go after Barack Obama. Uh, and, 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 you know, that's what we had in this case. Right. Uh, how did, uh, if you can go into detail, please, and uh, explain, um, how did Adam Schiff push Jerry Nadler, Nadler out of the key spot to lead the impeachment? So if you can just detail yeah. that, please. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, um, well, uh, there had been a, um, uh, a, essentially Nadler was, had sort of declared a uh, impeachment inquiry, which was a, a bit of a, a joke to start with because Pelosi had never endorsed that. Uh, but this happened right after the Mueller report. Uh, they couldn't get him on Russia, but they thought maybe we can say he obstructed justice, something along those lines. Yeah. Uh, and, and they had a string of hearings. Uh, Nadler did really horrible uh, in those hearings, performed very badly. Uh, you might remember the Corn Lewandowski hearing, uh, also the Mueller hearing when, when they brought Mueller. Um, Mueller, his own performance didn't help. So it's not all Nadler's fault, but, uh, but, but those hearings. And um, after that, uh, Pelosi just sort of saw, um, and it, and th- 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 there were a couple other hearings, I think with uh, f- federal prosecutors and, and none of those did Nadler do very well. Those were sort of strike one, strike two and strike three for Nadler. Uh, at the same time, you, according to sources on the Hill, you had uh, Schiff had been sort of whispering to Pelosi, pushing this, that, that he's not up to this challenge. He's not fit for this. If, if we're actually going to make a case to the public, I need to be doing this. I used to be a federal prosecutor. I ran these uh, intelligence hearings um, and, and you know, I'm, I'm good on the talk show circuit. Uh, Pelosi won along with this. Uh, as you might remember, she unilaterally declared a an impeachment inquiry right after the Ukraine story broke. Uh, and um, she put like half a dozen different house committees in charge just, just so they would all feel like they had some kind of role in it. Uh, this, this was sort of viewed as almost unprecedented because, because there had never been um, uh, a, a case where a, I mean, even going back to Andrew Johnson, there had been Congress enacted a committee to investigate impeachment of Andrew Johnson. And that was sort of considered one of the most slapdash efforts ever. But uh, but in this case, the speaker just unilaterally declared it. Um, that didn't fly well. Uh, eventually, under pressure, she, uh, she decided to put it up for a vote. Halloween day, actually, oddly enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 and you get, you got approval on a party line vote, basically, in the House for uh, an impeachment inquiry into Trump, but it was uh, it it was handled badly, and 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 through this whole course, that's when she gave it uh, after that Halloween vote to Schiff. Schiff pretty much handled it entirely. First, uh, it, it, first they had it entirely in the uh, skiff, which um, uh, for or it was entirely secret. Uh, and, and, and some folks might remember Matt Gates knocking on the door, but uh, there, there were a lot of people who were upset about how secret this was. Uh, I interviewed some uh, few congressmen in the book, Abuse of Power, <laughs> about, uh, about what was happening in the uh, SCIF and in those secret meetings, uh, those secret hearings. So, so uh, there, there, there's some interesting things that happened there too with uh, 
Lieutenant Colonel Vinman and so forth, and, and, and which he um, sort Please of tell us about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Vinman sort of questioned uh, whether the president sets foreign policy or not. Uh, and uh, during, during the skip meeting, now he, he was a little bit more uh, prepared once once this came above ground and once it was televised. But um, I, I I even think that's that's part of the 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 problem with the permanent bureaucracy, be it be in the Pentagon or or other. Agencies, probably, I think, probably much worse than most other agencies. But there's this view that the elected branch is just kind of they come and go, but the permanent bureaucracy stays in place, and they really run Washington. And and that's what was sort of clear in this case. And as much as anything, that's why Trump was hated. He was the disruptor, uh, and he came in to challenge the, the swamp, being the permanent bureaucracy and the lobbyists and, and so forth. That ran Washington. Um, I've, I've I've actually said in the past that um, Trump he may not be uh, Jefferson Smith and Mr. Smith goes to Washington, but uh, but it, <laughs> he might be the uh, Eddie Murphy character in Distinguished Gentleman. <laughs> right. But uh, he he, he kind of has to understand the underbelly to right. the uh, corruption. Okay, Fred, we have a couple of minutes left. I had a quick sure. question, but it was, uh, it's not about the book, actually, because you're very, very well connected. You know what's going on in Washington. Um, how much longer does this honeymoon go for? Um, Joe Biden is hiding, because I call him Hyden Biden. Um, we know that many of his cabinet members went up to the southern border this past weekend, and according to Jen Psaki, uh, they're set to meet with him sometime this week to discuss it with him. At some point, it's going to be revealed that he's just not an acting president. Um, they pull him out for a couple of comments to sign an executive order. But at some point, you know, everything is going to be exposed. Um, when do you see this happening? And then what happens after that? Well, um, he is supposed to have a press conference at some point. Uh, I'm, I, I am curious as to see how long the press conference will be and, you know, how many questions he takes. Uh, if he has to have a teleprompter during the press conference, we saw a little bit about that during the campaign. He, he was taking um, these re- remote and he, he was getting basically fed answers by some right. other people, um, by staff. So uh, that, that that's, that's going to be, I mean, he is going to be really measured on this. And at the same time, I think Kamala Harris is a very ambitious person and she has her allies. Uh, if you look at the cabinet, uh, um, I mean, if, if that's where we're going with this in the 25th Amendment, um, it is mostly Joe Biden allies. Uh, there, there are a few Kamala Harris people in there like Becerra uh, that have been picked. But um, uh, uh, for, for, for the most part, Tony Blinken, Secretary of State. Uh, Susan Rice. Right, right, right. They, they, these, these folks are, are allies to Biden. They're loyalists to Biden. Uh, I think on some level, that's why they were picked. I mean, the president's always going to pick loyalists to right. some degree, but I think it was more critical in this case because uh, he knows that there are these issues that are that will eventually come up, and I, I think that they're um, they're going to keep them under you know wraps as, as long as possible. Right, Fred. Thank you for joining us on the Definitive yes. Wrap. This has Thank been you. this has been amazing, informative, and um, I urge our listening audience to 
please go go get that book. Order it. Go to What's Amazon. The name of the Order book? That What's book. the name of the book again, Bela? <gasps> yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure it's thing. called, okay. <laughs> it's Abuse called of Power. Abuse of Power by Fred, uh, by Fred Lucas. Beach Donald Trump. Right. And it's a, it's a great buy on Amazon or any other. Uh, yeah, Barnes and Noble's. Terrific. So thank you again for joining us. And thank you to our listening audience for tuning in. And we express our appreciation for vinnews.com for being their official podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your hosts, Bela Sebro and Alan Skorsky. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can listen to The Definitive Wrap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Wrap.